0: Lord God, be with us today. Feed us from your word. Our souls are hungry. We may not even know it. Some of us know it. We're aware. We came here knowing it. Some of us feel so full today. Why do we need to be here one more time? Some of us feel too distracted to be hungry. But we're all starving for what can be found only in you you show yourself to us today we pray in the name of Jesus amen so today we're wrapping up a series on the minor prophets The prophet Micah and so as all good sermons on Micah should begin this one begins in Winder Georgia which is just up the road if you were to go to Winder You would see on display uh, a steam locomotive, engine number 208. It used to run between Winder and Gainesville, and um, there was a spot where the track event happened in 1959, was starting to give way. So as the engine started to go over that section of track, it began to lean, to tip downhill. This is not a good sign. And as it began to lean, it threatened to pull the entire train off the tracks with it. So one set of wheels is not taking the tracks anymore. It's beginning to tip further and further off the tracks downhill. And if it goes, then every car behind it is going with it. So there was only one choice for the engineer and the fireman uh, on the engine. This, uh, to, to make, and it was to unhitch the locomotive from the train, let it roll down the hill. As we read through the book of Micah, we find God's people, Israel, or by, by this time in their history, little map to remind us, The nation of Israel has split into two separate kingdoms. Micah is writing after this division of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. Micah lived down here in Judah, south of Jerusalem, the capital. By this point in the history of God's people, the same situation was happening. God's people were leaning away from Him trying to get further and further away from Him, convinced that they could find goodness and peace some other way, some other place besides Him. And because God's plan was to use His people, the descendants of Abraham, to to invite all nations to come to Him and find His goodness and love. They were not only threatening themselves to fall off the track, but to pull every other nation with them. And so he said, I have only one choice. i got to unhitch you. <laughs> Judgment is coming. You, you are going to be carried away into exile. You can't live in this land and teach the nations of the world anymore that the way to find goodness and peace and joy is to get as far away from me as possible. So you will be uprooted from the land. By the time Micah writes, the Assyrian army has already conquered that northern kingdom of Israel, taken them captive, and now God is warning Judah, that southern kingdom, if you fail to turn back to me, then another nation, Babylon, will come and uproot you from the land. And that's how chapter 3 of Micah ends. Because of you, Zion, another name for Jerusalem, will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill will be a mound overgrown with thickets. And after that loss, come two questions. a question about loss of relationship. Can God continue to love a people whose failure is this great? And a question about loss of purpose. If our purpose was, was to be the nation through whom God would bring the rest of the world to Himself, can He continue to work for the good of the nations, through a people whose failure is this great? Micah chapter 4 answers those questions. Let's listen as James reads for us.
1: Today's scripture is from the book of Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples, and will settle disputes for strong nations, far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Every man will sit under his own vine, and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, when we
0: left engine 208, it was at the bottom of a hill, unhitched. This is engine 208, on display, in winder. Clearly not at the bottom of the hill, not abandoned and left to rot as a pile of rusting junk it was rescued because the workers on the railway and gathered around watching this disaster unfold made a commitment to rescue it somehow somehow god promises that he's going to rescue us from our failure somehow god's people fail him what's the what's the solution there's only one. He has to rescue us from our failure. He promises that somehow He will continue to love us, even if our failure is great, and somehow He will continue to work through us to extend His love and His goodness to all nations. Those are His promises of rescue. Somehow, He will solve the loss of relationship. He will keep loving us somehow. He will solve that loss of purpose. He will keep working through us for the good of all nations to extend His love and goodness to the whole world. And in Micah chapter 4, those promises are depicted using several images. I want us to look through those images today And along the way, learn how to understand the symbolism of the Bible. Now, it would take lots of different lessons using lots of different tools to learn how to unpack all the symbols in Scripture, but today we'll learn how to use two kinds of symbols, and they involve different sorts of substitutions, so stay tuned. First, we start with this symbol, Mount Zion is another name for Jerusalem, and you'll hear throughout the Old Testament, here even in Micah chapter 4, you hear references to the mountain of the Lord's temple in verse 1. You hear a reference to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob in verse 2, a reference to the temple sitting on the top of the temple platform in Jerusalem. You hear a reference to the law going out from Zion, another name for Jerusalem. The word of the Lord going out from Jerusalem. When we hear these references in Scripture, what, what's happening? Well, first of all, we're, we're talking about a place, a literal city, right? This is the city of Jerusalem. And in, in Jerusalem, um, in Old Testament days, a temple was built somewhere around here. Today, what stands on that site is a Muslim shrine called the Dome of the Rock. And um, there used to be a temple there, the Jewish temple, and walls were built around it, kind of a retaining wall to build a big platform so that worshippers could gather. And over the centuries, the walls got bigger and the platform got bigger, so more people could fit up there. So, in the days of Solomon, who built the first temple, the platform was probably only about this big. In the days of King Herod, time of Jesus, it got expanded to be much larger. Some of these walls over here actually date from the time of the ministry of the prophet Micah. Now, some of those walls didn't exist in Micah's day. They were built by King Herod in Jesus' day. But some of them have been in place since Micah wrote these Words and he, he talked about the mountain of the Lord's temple being established as chief among the nations, and this mountain being raised up above the hills and, and people streaming to it. What a nice image, there, right? It's streaming. Which way do things stream? Down, right? That, that this sort of symbol of, of gravity being suspended, and the nations of the world are going to, like a river, flow uphill. To get to the top of Mount Zion. What does that say? What does that mean? Does that mean that literally this mountain's gonna grow and get bigger than Mount Everest? No, it's a symbol. And there's a kind of substitution going on here. There were, it's a substitution based on association. Sometimes you can mention one thing as a substitute for another thing that's closely associated with it. So if I go to a baseball game, and I say, come on, blue, anybody knows that was a ball, not a strike? Blue is a color associated with umpires, because it used to be that umpires wore blue all the time. And so instead of saying, come on, umpire, you say, come on, blue, because really, you're talking about the umpire. So that has a technical name. It's called metonymy, if you're a grammar nerd. Proudly, I am. (laughs) Substitution by association. So really, what we're being told here, the, the symbol, the image is of a mountain, a temple, a place in the city of Jerusalem. But it represents the thing it's associated with, which is intimacy with God. Drawing near to his presence. Intense experience of God's life-giving power and love. Because over the centuries, that is what the city of Jerusalem with its temple had come to represent. So Micah isn't so much telling us that this mountain is going to get bigger. It's saying people from all over the world, from every nation, are going to want to have this same experience of God's intense Goodness and power and love at work in their lives. People from every nation are going to want to have the same intimacy in the presence of God that is that is here, symbolized in the temple in Jerusalem. So Micah isn't saying that, hey, you know what, today if you want to know God, you better get on a plane and you better go find a temple. Oh, guess what? When you get there, there won't be a temple there. Sorry, you can't know God. Because there's no more temple. That's not it at all. What, what What we're being told is that temple, mountain, is being used as a symbol to represent closeness to God. This promise that every nation will be drawn, longing, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let us go to the house of the God of Jacob so that he can teach us his ways and we may walk in his paths. And if you're reading this as an Old Testament person, you're, you're going, wait, we know this. We do this every year. Every year, people from throughout our land go to this mountain to be instructed in the ways of God several times a year for different feasts and festivals we're used to this happening but what micah is saying is that one day every nation of the world will long to worship and honor god as much as we do what a glorious day that will be and guess what we get included too don't take that for granted Right, If you're one of God's people and you've, you've just read Micah chapter 3 and you've just heard, hey, one day this mountain's going to be plowed like a field by the Babylonians because your failure has been so great. The fear would be, is God just going to be done with us at some point? Is He going to look at His people and say, you have disappointed me for the last time. I will invite every other nation to come to me but you. And if that's your fear... Then it means a lot when Micah says many nations will come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob to the house of the God of Jacob he is still our God Jacob is another name for Israel all the nations will stream to him and And God won't be so fed up with his people that he replaces them with someone else. Now, some of you might stop and ask, now, hang on a second. But isn't that exactly what happened? Didn't God relate to the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people? And now hasn't he replaced them with other nations since the coming of Jesus? Two quick answers to that. It, it deserves about a thousand answers, but here are two quick ones. First is, Jesus, Jesus himself is Jewish. If you wanted to send a signal to the whole world that you're done with a particular nation of people, and you're finished with them, would you make the center of your plan to redeem those nations a Jewish person? Right? Jesus himself is Jewish. God's not done with the Jewish people. Which leads us to our second answer, which is, if, if all nations are going to stream to God, then all nations includes all nations. It, it includes the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, along with every other it's wrong to read the Scriptures as though God had somehow replaced His people with another group. He's expanded His people to include every nation, Jew and Gentile alike. That's what the New Testament says. It doesn't say Gentiles instead of Jews. It says Jew and Gentile together, streaming Mount Zion, to the temple, which represents closeness to God, intimacy with Him, powerful experience of His goodness and love. And somehow, God is going to use His people to make that happen one day. God is going to use His people with all of our failures in such a way that one day people from every Nation. We'll long to come to Him. It's not the only picture that Micah uses. He uses this image, doesn't he? In verse 3, God will judge between many peoples. He will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. Hey, they won't have to settle their own disputes through warfare anymore. God will come with a form of justice that is so perfect and so permanent that when He's finished exercising it, nobody will have to fight about it anymore. And that's where the imagery comes from. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. If we don't know how to read symbolism, then we could read this very cynically and say, oh, yeah, they're going to turn their swords into plowshares. What's a plowshare, by the way? The plowshare is the little metal tip that goes right here on the edge of a plow. So you have a bigger curved thing that throws the dirt to the side that's called the, the mold board. And uh, then there's an iron tip. If you live in Old Testament era, it's iron. Today it would be steel. That's replaceable because that gets dull quickly and you have to take it off, sharpen it, put it back on. So take all of those plowshares off your plows. Uh, I, I mean, take, take all of your swords and, and break them up into bits and beat them into the shape of plowshares because from now on, you're going to be more farming than fighting. You could read that sort of cynically and say, Ah, oh, yeah, you know, here's the Bible being stupid again saying um, swords will be turned into plows and spears will be turned into pruning hooks, but it doesn't say anything about M-16s or nuclear bombs. Yeah, because that's exactly what people were thinking, you know, in Micah's day. From now on, kill each other with chariots and slingshots. No, no, it's a different kind of symbolism, right? This is a substitution of the part for the whole. And it has a fancy name, it's called synecdoche, Grammar nerd again. Substituting the part for the whole. We're talking about a part of the inventory of weapons, swords and spears, to stand in for the whole of weaponry. And to say, you won't need any weapons anymore. When God is finished using His people to redeem the whole world, there won't be any more war. There won't be any more Fighting, the part is being substituted for the whole, some weapons for all weapons, and then the weapons are being substituted for the thing associated with them, the fighting and the killing. It's two forms of symbolism at once. So this is why we have to learn how to do this well, right? You do this stuff all day, every day, you just don't realize it. Right, the White House announced something yesterday. No, the White House didn't announce anything. Houses can't talk. Well, you substituted one thing for another. You substituted a building for an administration, and then you substituted the whole administration for the one part of the administration that actually did the talking. Because probably not all of them gave the message all at once. In you know, synchronized speech. So we do this stuff all the time, every day. God is speaking our language in his word. Hey, you do this stuff all the time, every day. Let's do it again here and talk about a vision of God working through his people and promising that somehow he's going to work for the good of all nations. And he won't stop until war exists no more. That's what we're waiting for. No more war, peace and justice among the nations. Somehow, somehow, God is going to lift the curse that our world is under. There's one more picture that Micah uses. It's the picture of a vineyard. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken." Now you could say, hang on a second, that's pictured of a vineyard and the Scripture says every man will sit under his own vine, one vine. That's lots of vines. preacher, you can do better. You made a mistake. Actually, what I'm doing is interpreting the symbol. It's that substitution of the part for the whole again, right? No ancient Israelite could grow enough grapes to make the wine necessary from one vine. So when Micah talks about everybody sitting under one vine, that one vine represents a whole vineyard and sitting under one fig tree. No Israelite wanted one fig tree. You want a whole stinking orchard of fig trees to make enough fruit to put away and dry to keep you through the winter. So the one vine and the one fig tree stand in for a whole orchard and a whole vineyard. And it's this image of, of flourishing and life prospering as we want it to without fear. And it's that connection... That's being drawn on, if you know Hamilton, right? Anybody know this play? It was a little popular for a while. Tickets were hard to get, right? And there's this scene in Hamilton where where the, the song, One Last Time, is being sung. Two characters on the stage, George Washington... Hamilton is, is kind of the scribe, the secretary, taking down notes, as Washington is, is kind of composing his farewell speech. He's explaining, here's why I'm not going to run for president again. Right? Been elected twice. I'm going to step down. I'm going to go back and just be, just be that farmer. And the lyrics of the song say this, If I say goodbye, the nation learns to move on. It outlives me when I'm gone. Like the scripture says, everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. So the image is is that found here in Micah. And Washington, in his farewell speech, uses that image, that quote from scripture. The lyrics go on to say, they'll be safe in the nation we've made. I'm going to sit under my own vine and fig tree, a moment alone in the shade, at home, one last time. So the symbolism here is one vine and one fig tree representing a whole vineyard and a whole orchard. And those things in in turn representing the things they're associated with. Peace. Peace. Prosperity, enjoyment, home, rest. And God is saying, even when my people fail miserably, somehow I will make a way to lift the curse. I will not give up on them. I will keep loving my people even after they have failed. I will keep using my people to bring light and peace and justice and joy to the nations. Until one day, one day, war is no more. Hunger is no more. And all nations stream uphill saying, can we please know more about you Our creator God, will you please instruct us from your word? And God says, somehow, I will make all of that come true. Somehow. It's engine 208. Somehow, we're going to rescue it. We're going to get it back up from the bottom of the hill and set it back on the tracks so we can reattach it to the train and take the train where it's supposed to be somehow. Well, now, if you know physics, you know how this has got to work. You ain't moving that train unless you connect it to something heavier than itself. Right? So thankfully, railroads have this kind of stuff. Right, here's an example of a modern railway crane lifting a railroad car up in the air like it's nothing. Now, what do you know about that crane? Even if you know nothing about railroads and railroad cranes, and if you don't, I'm sorry for you. Some of us like, find a good hobby. Um <laughs> you know it's got to be heavier than the thing is picking up, don't you? The only way to move this thing is to attach it to something weightier than itself. When you read Scripture and God makes weighty promises to weak and fallible people, you always have to ask yourself, What is the heavier thing that God could attach those promises to that enables Him to make them and keep them? Jesus is the thing heavier than itself. Jesus is the thing that outweighs everything else. The work of Jesus is the reason God could look at His people and say, Despite your great failure, I will not give up loving you because I will use my Son to atone for your failure. Despite your great failure, I will not give up on my purpose to use you to draw the nations of the world to my goodness and love so that everyone, everywhere, can hear that good news and begin to experience it. I will not give up on my people despite your great failure because I will use my son to become the head of this people so that you're no longer defined by your failure. You're defined by his victory. You're no longer defined by your coldness to others. You're defined by his love. You're no longer defined by your apathy. You're defined by His zeal for me. This is who you are now. And when we know that God has has done that in order to make and keep His promises to us, that He would love us by sending His own Son, then we want to be part of what He is doing in the world. And that leads us to verse 5 of Micah. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. God, if this is what you are up to, if you are taking every broken thing in this world and you are attaching it to someone heavier than itself, so that he can make it right again. We want to be part of that. We want to walk in your name forever and ever, not just now, not just for a few years while we're elementary students and don't know any better, not just while we're teenagers and have to do what mom and dad say as long as we live under their roof, not just while we're sort of aimless college students trying to figure out our way and some campus minister said, Jesus, and we said, okay, okay forever and ever and ever not just while i've got a great job and the mortgage payments are being made on time but forever and ever not just while everything is going awesome but forever we want to be yours forever and god guess what we got a long way to go (laughs) we have this great vision of every nation streaming to you but in reality in Micah's day, you look around and go, all the nations are walking in the name of their gods. We've got a long way to go. We are way too small, way too weak, and way too prone to failure to begin to dream that we could ever do this. Unless you have connected us to something weightier than ourselves. And God, because you have done that for us, then even though we got a long way to go, we're going to walk in your name forever and ever.